Thank you for downloading this episode. Before we start, I wanted to let you know that our interviews with leaders of TTOs and University Venture Funds are now on their own feed, with new episodes every Friday. Interviews with people like Matt Perkins from Oxford University Innovation, Sarah Valin from Chalmers Ventures, or Kirsten Leuter from Osage University Partners. Just search for Talking Tech Transfer in your podcast app or go to globaluniversityventuring.com to subscribe. Welcome to the Global Venturing Review Leadership Series, where we talk to thought leaders from corporate venturing and university venturing to learn more about how they are changing the world. In today's episode, I talk to Jim Wilkinson, Interim Chief Executive at Oxford Sciences Innovation. Hello, Jim. Uh, Thank you very much for um, joining us on uh, the podcast today. Glad to have you. To start us off, can you maybe give us a brief overview of how Oxford Sciences Innovation came to be and what its purpose is? Yeah, so, so we started five years ago and we were built on quite a successful track record from Oxford University that had spun out around about four or five companies a year over the previous 15 years, which is, which is pretty good in UK terms and European terms. And of those companies, there's been some pretty big successes like Immunicore, Adaptimmune, Oxford Nanoport. And that was, that was very comparable or better than anything in the UK. However, uh, when you compare with MIT, which is spinning out 20-plus spin-outs a year, maybe they've created 50 billion-pound companies over the last 25 years, left Oxford looking a little bit like a poor relation, given Oxford's status in the world as the, the, the number one research university, according to Times Higher Education Supplement, and more importantly, spending about £750 million a year on research and development. So, so it's felt that Oxford was not getting its science out into the world in, in, in an optimal manner, and, and the main reason was deemed to be lack of capital. So OSI was created as a company rather than a fund. We were set up with an agreement with the university, so the university owns a portion of OSI, and OSI in return received a portion of each company that span out from the university, whether, it, whether we invested or not. And that allowed us to raise £600 million to invest in spin-outs from the university, which is about the biggest single university investment fund in the world by a factor of three or four times. And more importantly, bought in great shareholders. So we have world-renowned names like Google, Sequoia, Temasek amongst our shareholders. And then that enabled us to, to get into the university, find the IP and start spinning companies out. And the, the success has been 20 spin-outs a year. We've invested about £500 million over the last five years, which is about the same as over the previous 20 years in total. We've been bringing new people into the ecosystem, and, and the aim is to, is to try and get closer to MIT. Awesome. Following on from that, maybe, what, what is your long-term vision for OSI or maybe the Oxford ecosystem? I think we've got two visions. First of all, we are a commercial enterprise and we're going to make a return. Second thing, so for our shareholders, the second, second thing is there's some absolutely brilliant world-leading science in the university that should make a global impact. You know, and if you look at the university, the university's history, I think it was synthesized penicillin, created a lithium-ion battery in, in, in your iPhone or a Android phone, blood glucose test came out. So it's got a long history of, of world, world-leading science that, that became very useful uh, to the world. So we, we're trying to... A, get that science out in the world, and then B, build up an ecosystem. So we want to attract to 
Oxford, lots of corporate venturing arms, lots of VCs, lots of people who understand technology who can understand what, what IP is in the university, take it out, attract the management, attract the investment funds, and build great companies which then, by their very nature, should also then feed back into more research in the university, attracting um, even higher quality people to Oxfordshire and building up an ecosystem with all the infrastructure that entails, including things like wet labs, that we can show the world what science is here. So very much build up a big ecosystem. Nice virtuous circle then as well, yeah. You've you've already mentioned, um, I think you said Google is, is one of your LPs, I think it tells quite an interesting story. Just looking at the list of, of, of LPs, I think you've got Tencent as well, and there's a few others, you said Sequoia. How important was it to have corporates am- among your LPs? Are they actively helping your portfolio development? Are they looking to co-invest? Yeah, I mean, they, they, um, it's extremely important in, in what we set out to do because what we're trying to do is build big companies and build them as fast as we can. We don't want to spend 20 years trying to build a company. And, and, and the thing is you need a, a management, you need great technology, you need funding coming in, but you also need the ability to reach out across the world. So, so we've got about 70 shareholders. And you know, if, if you take Google or, or Temasek or Tencent, what they, what they can actually help us do is they help us understand the science before we spin out a company. Once we've spun it out, they'll help us with strategy, management, commercial contacts, so that we can develop the company as fast as we possibly can. So, so the aim is to go from an idea to a very large company in sort of 10 years, whereas in the UK, I think you can look and say it normally takes 15 to 20 years in the university venture sector. So corporates, with the expertise they can bring, are extremely important to, to, to our plans. Amazing. You've, you've said as well, OSI is the largest venture fund, pretty much a, a large fund by any measure, unless we're talking SoftBank Vision Fund, which is, is in a world on its own. Obviously, that brings with it a certain air of prestige. And you've, you've got the Oxford brand behind you as well. I imagine with, with that much money comes a lot of opportunities, maybe even challenges. Are there any particular opportunities that a fund such as you know, £600 million affords you? Any possibilities that you couldn't do with a $20 million fund, a pound fund, sorry? I, th- I think it's a bit of a debate because over after five years we've invested half of it, and certainly you know there's some thought process that maybe we raised too much, but but I think we'd reject that because actually we were offered far more and actually took a small amount from each shareholder relative to what we could have taken. But it's given us the uh, the ability to withstand things like coronavirus. It's given us more importantly the ability to to attract academics who. In, in, certainly in the Oxford environment, and I suspect the European environment, is there hasn't been much growth capital around. So if you can actually talk to an academic and say, yes, we can spin your idea out, but we'll properly fund it at the start, and, and we'll fund it in each subsequent period, along with others, um, provided it's working. It gives them a surety and certainty that, that we can actually do it. So we've, I think we've received, we've had the ability to spin out far more interesting ideas because when we're talking to the academics it doesn't look such a painful process to them that they've got to spend a long time raising money and i also think that there's, there's definite examples where we've we've invested more at seed level than has ever been done before in the uk sort of 10 million pound seed round which has enabled us to bring in world-class management from day one um, and have multiple shots at target rather than just one one go based on a, a sort of million pound effort so, so that's definitely been a big plus, I think. 
The, the other thing we've got is that we want to be able to fund all the way through. So if we own 20% of a company that's worth £200 million and it goes out and raises a significant sum, we want to be able to hold on to our percentage if we want to. So sitting there with the cash has helped. I think the other thing is it's been a, it's been a slow burn in terms of getting the companies and investing relatively small amount or very small amounts of money and then making them making those companies bigger. We're just five years in beginning to see much bigger checks being written. So checks of 20 or 30 million pounds as the companies develop are going to become more common and therefore we need more resources. Are you, um, obviously you're, you're halfway through a 10-year cycle here. Are you already thinking about raising more, more money? Is that... I'm guessing it's, a, it's always a possibility, but... It's always a possibility, and the board will keep it into continuous review. But I think where we stand at the moment, we have £300 billion in the bank, and I think we need to, we need to, prove, we need to prove a little bit more and, and get a few of the companies a little bit further down the road. Makes sense. You joined us at our digital forum two months ago in June. I was very glad to have you on uh, our university roundtable as well, and seeing some of your portfolio companies showcase as well. There was one comment you made that I thought was quite intriguing, which was the, I think you said, OSI is pretty half good at buildings because you need wet lab space and, and you've kind of added real estate to your remit, which wasn't in it originally. What has that process been like? Where, where are you at? How, how big? I think one of the things that we've learned is that, um, you know, we start off with a pattern and, and an academic. And the academic might be giving us 30 days a year or, or might be a bit more full time. And we've got to turn that into a company. So, so we've, with, with, I think every one of the spin-outs we've done has been, it's not a cookie-cutter model. Everything has to be um, tailored for that company. And everyone has given us challenges and, and issues we have to overcome. One of the things we found is that because the medical science division is, is very large in Oxford and world-leading, we've ended up doing more therapeutics and life sciences than we, than we originally planned. There is very little wet lab incubator space in Oxford. In fact, there's very little across Europe. And to give you a statistic, I think in Oxford, the bioescalator, thankfully the bioescalator incubator was set up. And that, that's got 15,000 square feet. And that's it in Oxford. If I compare that with MIT, Harvard, Cambridge Corridor, they've got 10 million square feet of incubator wet lab. So... Uh, as we were spinning out more and more wet lab companies, we ended up in a position of going, well, we've got nowhere to put them for them to actually do the experiments. So in common with solving whatever problems thrown at us from whatever company, whatever sector, we've converted offices into wet labs. It's a continuous process. Um, we'd love to get wet lab operators into Oxford that can do that for us. And I can start concentrating on back on the companies and less on property. But I think we're still one or two years away from having, having picked the interest enough that people will actually do uh, wet labs for us. But it's one of the examples where as the ecosystem builds up and you, you've got an issue, some, what the £600 million has done is enable us to actually go and solve some of those issues. Okay. Are you, I know Oxford is, is quite a, a small city, beautiful city, but quite small. Are companies sticking around in Oxford? Is, is there a lack of, of office space? Is there enough? It, it's, um, it's been fascinating, actually. So I think we're on 82 companies that have spun out. We've got about um, six based in London. We've had one based in San Francisco, and the rest are in or around Oxford, certainly in Oxfordshire. <laughs> there's, there's science parks that are building up. There's actually, I actually think there's a fair amount of land. Getting the land used for the right things from our perspective is difficult. 
actually the demise of retail is giving us a whole lo- new load of opportunities in the centre of Oxford at the moment. So we'll have to see what see what we can do. But I think I think the just just the the quality of the companies that we're we're beginning to see and their potential global impact is really beginning to shift people's opinions about what Oxford should be doing in, in some respects. So uh, there's there's a lot of challenges. There's also there is a lot of space around if you if you utilise it correctly. You've uh, you've mentioned some and um, that there are great companies. I I always like asking people if they have any favourites and then they kind of try and wriggle their way out of that. But maybe not asking if you have a favourite. But are there any that you th- you've seen come out and you you personally thought this is really you know this is something really cool or um, something fascinating? So so I'm going to say all of them. Uh, which is not a cop out, <laughs> but you know, to, 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 to give you some 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 ideas, you know, I think we've got in Yasa we've got a fantastic electric motor, that's sort of half the weight and twice the power of anything else in the world. We've got drones from Animal Dynamics, which are three hundred percent more efficient than any other drone in the world. We've got Evox, which is uh, the world's leading exosome platform, which is you know how drugs hopefully drugs will be delivered. We've got fusion. Out of first light fusion, four quantum computing companies. We've got a whole host of companies doing different things. That each one of them is very fascinating. I think ag tech is a particular interest, just because I think it's an area where I'm not sure there's been huge amounts of development. And we've got a, a new herbicide discovery company that's, that's that's making great progress, technologically speaking. So, so it's certainly I think I don't think what well, think of a more interesting job. And sitting here and listening to what's what's uh, what's what's coming in from the academics. Amazing! It's it's quite interesting. I mean, even if you don't have any favourites, and, and no one ever does, it's quite interesting to hear that it is a very broad range. I know we've talked a lot about lab space, but then you also talk about drones and, and ag tech. So it's it's quite a varied varied amount of research that's coming out. That's really cool. Has the pandemic had any impact on the types of spinouts that you seen coming out, or is that? still kind of no it, so, so i think the pandemic we started working from home in mid-march the team has been very efficient we've seen more deals happening more funding rounds happening we haven't slowed down at all in fact anything we've kind of sped up oxford's been very well highlighted during the coronavirus pandemic because we've got the, the oxford vaccine uh, and we're involved in that with Vaxitech. Uh, we've got another vaccine company called spy biotech uh, we've got two or three testing companies in ONI and, and uh, Osla, Ultronics, which is a, a heart echocardiogram AI company. So we've actually found quite a lot of our companies are, are making quite an impact, which actually is, is, is very pleasing from the point of view that if we hadn't been around, these companies probably wouldn't exist. Certainly some of them wouldn't. It's, it's a pity it's happened now because in three or four years' time, the companies were bigger than we further advanced. But, but I think we've been largely, we, it's, it's been quite an exciting period from, from advancing some of the technologies and showcasing to the world. And if, if I look at vaccines, when we spun out Vaxitech, the world wasn't really interested in vaccines from a commercial viewpoint. And, uh, and, and we've, we've hit the wave on that one at the moment. That, that's a good one. Uh, amongst the other companies, I think, you know, we've seen, a, I suspect this is what everyone's seen, we've seen a slowdown in development as fewer people can get into the labs at one time. We've seen quite a lot of repurposing of, of, or, or readjusting the milestones, but nothing that's been a fundamental issue to, to the majority of companies. We've, we've actually coped with this pretty well. Okay. There's, there's no risk that you, a company that um, 
might get left behind because it's not not working on the vaccine, which is kind of the flavor to sure, I guess. I, th- I, th- I, th- I think we try to look after all the companies, whether they're hot at the moment or not. And, you know, companies often go through hot phases. I think the, um, the, the funding from the government's been pretty impressive. You know, very grateful to them for the, for, for the future fund, which we have utilized. And, uh, and, and no, we, we, we continue to concentrate on the companies that, that excite us. Amazing. On a slightly more personal note, we came to OSI in uh, 2015 as the CFO. Uh, you were CFO at a few companies before that. What brought you to Oxford? What brought you to OSI specifically? Well, um, first of all, I live near here. So that's saved me from commuting on First Great Western, which is the most horrible company in the world. And then second, and probably more seriously, I knew the people behind, behind OSI, and I know that they're very credible people with a very good track record, and therefore I knew this was going to be a very exciting opportunity. So I was, I was thrilled to be able to, to be part of it. Is there anything else that you would like to mention that we haven't covered? I think, I think one of the other things we, we're trying to do is bring in co-investors, so, so given that given the breadth of our portfolio, where we are, we are going for small molecule therapeutics infusion, we and it's all world leading science. Uh, that, that one company definitely can't cover all that and be experts in it. So, I think I think our expertise is in finding the world leading idea and getting this out and turning it into a company with a management team and, and some sort of products. But then we also need an awful lot of expertise brought in. So, I think we've managed to get about thirty eight investors sort of really high quality investors into Oxford that have not invested in the ecosystem before. That's only that's only a small portion of what we're going to need over the next sort of five years. So we're we're continually on the lookout for for people who've got expertise in areas that um, or VCs or corporates expertise in areas where we can just have a dialogue with them, bring them into the Oxford ecosystem, showcase what's here, and then hopefully at some point they find an investment they want to make and come in alongside us. Is there, um, I don't want to end on a depressing note, but is there any risk that um, the, the UK leaving the European Union is, is going to impact? I don't, I don't think so. I think, the, I think our risk is to make sure the university continues to be funded and that we can get visas for the, the experts in. A lot of the academics in the university and a lot of our spin-outs are done with overseas people. The, so that's, that's the, the, the biggest risk I see around. So, no, I think... I think so Brexit is well, quite low down the worry list compared with coronavirus at the moment, thankfully. So, so we'll have to wait and see. But no, that's not, that's not the, the, the big concern at the moment. Yeah, that's good to hear. Thank you, Jim, for uh, taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, lovely. Global Venturing Review was produced by In-Ear Production. You can find out more by going to inearproduction.com.